my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet... There's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we're always talking about the decentralized revolution, how the world is changing through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And that technology that we're talking about is Bitcoin, which is a decentralized technology. And there was a lot going on in the Bitcoin world today. And I have a lot to cover. We're going to talk about in this segment, we're going to talk about what happened in the Bitcoin space something crazy. We're going to talk about the economy, what the Fed is doing, and even more news coming out of China. So a lot of lot, lot to talk about in this segment. But jumping into Bitcoin for a minute, uh, the big news is that the price of Bitcoin shot up, jumped up on fake news, on fake rumors. And what happened is, uh, we've been talking about on this show for a long time, is that there is an ETF coming out that would, well, Hopefully there's an ETF coming out for Bitcoin. So we have ETFs for all types of things. Um, and we've been trying to get one through for Bitcoin for a long time. And I believe there's eight ETF applications that are stuck at the SEC trying to get through. Now, one of the larger sort of cryptocurrency Bitcoin related news sites, uh, a site called uh, Cointelegraph, put out a tweet on Twitter fake news, saying that breaking SEC approves a Bitcoin spot ETF. And when that happened, within about 30 minutes, we saw the price of Bitcoin shoot up before Cointelegraph could come out and say, uh, reportedly. Uh, and then they went ahead and they deleted that tweet altogether. Now, during that time, we saw the price drop jump about 7 8% during that time before it was disproven. Now, what, what what's in this? There, there's something in this. There's a couple of things. First of all, when that happened, we saw the price shoot up. Why did it shoot up so much? Well, I think there's two reasons why. So first of all, 
the the frenzy triggered um, a short squeeze. There was $78 million in short positions, and there was $34 million in longs, and they got liquidated faster than you can say fake news. Uh, they took off really, really fast. And so there were so many shorts. As soon as it started moving, they started getting liquidated, which caused the price to move up faster, 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 faster. All right. The other thing that I think is interesting in this story is, isn't just on the price action. It's really about what will happen. I guess if I think it's more when an ETF actually does get approved. And so even though the news was fake, the reaction from the market wasn't. And so what we saw is that the market responded positively. Uh, we saw that the market moved up. We saw the price jump up almost 10% in just a 30 minute time frame. Now, could it have jumped up more or less? I don't know. But I think what it means is that happened within 30 minutes. And so I guess the question that most of us want to understand is, do we think this news is already priced in? Do we think that um, the, the, the Bitcoin ETF getting approved is already priced in? Um, I believe Bloomberg has it at like a 90% chance of it becoming approved. We've seen Gary Gensler's language around this starting to change. And so is it already priced in? And based off of this price action, it looks like maybe it wasn't. If this wasn't taken down within 30 minutes, if it was allowed to stay up for longer, for hours, for days, for weeks, what could happen? How much could the price move up? Now, it's a little bit priced in, in my opinion, because it didn't jump up that much. I mean, sure, 7, 8, 9, 10% sounds like a lot. It would be a lot for the S&P 500. It's not a lot for Bitcoin. We've seen Bitcoin move way more than that in a single day, in a single candle. And so while that certainly is positive price action, um, it's not as big as you might think it would be. And so to me, I think that most of it has been priced in, not 100% of it, but most of it has been priced in. Of course, this doesn't account for the amount of funds that will flow into Bitcoin at some point. Now, one of the biggest ETFs that's trying to get through right now is from the largest asset manager in the world, BlackRock. Um, I'm no fan of BlackRock. I've been very vocal about that. But BlackRock is one of the, I believe, eight ETFs trying to get through. And if anybody's going to get an ETF through, it's probably going to be BlackRock. They're sort of like a quasi semi arm of the government. They work on the Fed's behalf. They work with the FDIC, bank bailouts, all of those things. So if anybody could get one through, it would be them. And it's pretty interesting this week to see the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, come out and say that he's seeing client demand for Bitcoin all around the world. He said that clients across the globe are talking about the need for crypto. He said that, I think the rally today is about a flight to quality. With all the issues around the Israeli war now, global terrorism, etc., people want to flight to quality, and he thinks that's why people are going to Bitcoin, which is very interesting. You have arguably the most powerful man in the financial world, um, which makes him arguably one of the most powerful men in the entire world, um, who you wouldn't think would want something like Bitcoin to be approved, and also would always be trying to talk down fears of financial problems in the markets, financial markets. Um, and here he is talking about Bitcoin being used as a flight to safety. So think about that for a minute. Bitcoin went from being a scam to being a Ponzi scheme to being ridiculous. Jamie Dimon of, of JP Morgan said that 
If anybody even used it, he would fire them. And if anybody at JP Morgan used it, traded it, he would fire them. To now we have arguably one of the most powerful men in the world, Larry Fink, saying that they're using it as a flight to quality. Boy, how far we've come. It reminds me of the quote that uh, I think it's, you know, first they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then they finally accept you. And so that's sort of where we're at. Now, I wouldn't say that it's a flight to quality necessarily. I think it's something a little bit different. So typically, we have a flight to quality, and you think about uh, treasury, the treasury market, like the, the bond market. And bonds are what's considered a risk-free asset. It's a risk-free asset because the government's always going to pay. Now, it's not totally risk-free. It's, it's only risk-free if you hold it to maturation. However, even that's not risk-free because they're going to pay you back, but they're going to pay you back with heavily devalued dollars. So you may get $100, you put, put $100 in, you get $100 back but the $100 may only buy you $20 or $30 worth of stuff. So there is risk there, inflation risk. However, what I'm seeing isn't a flight to safety because it's no one's rushing into the treasury or bond market. What they're doing is they're buying assets instead. So we're seeing gold at one of the largest deviations from the treasury market that we've seen in recent history. Uh, Bitcoin's holding up, even stocks are holding up, which is against everybody on, on, uh, on Wall Street. They're telling you that, no, once rates go up, the stocks have to come down because when the risk-free rate moves up, stock, the, the, the valuations, the PE ratios have to come down. Really? Do they have to? Because they haven't. Rates have been going up for a year. How come the ratios haven't come down? And I think the reason why is the same reason why Larry Fink thinks that people are rushing to safety. What they're rushing to safety in isn't the safety asset of the bond. What they're rushing to is anything other than fiat currency. What they're rushing to is anything other than government inside paper money, bond market money. What they're rushing to is real assets. That's why gold is going up. That's why real estate is holding up. That's why equities are holding up. And that's why Bitcoin is holding up. Now, do I think something could change? Of course, something can always change. There is so, so much danger sitting out in this world right now. That something could certainly change, but it's sort of like this crack up boom, right? Um, Ludwig von Mises, the godfather of the Austrian School of Economics, called it the crack up boom. He said, and then suddenly people realize that inflation is both intentional um, and uh, ongoing, and they will no longer want to hold the currency and they'll quickly trade it for anything else that they can get their hands on. And so you see this happening in other countries all around the world where, you know, Venezuela, Lebanon, Turkey, etc., where the currency is dropping so fast, they'll literally take anything other than hanging on to the currency. Now, we may not be at that point. I'm not saying the United States is at the Lebanon, Turkey, Argentina, Venezuela level yet, but we're certainly on that path. And I think this is why people aren't rushing to the safety of the treasuries and the bonds, but rather holding on to assets such as equities, which aren't super safe in my opinion, uh, but gold, real estate, and Bitcoin. But we'll see. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week. We just went through what happened in the Bitcoin crypto markets and with the largest asset manager in the world. But I have a whole lot more to cover when I come back after this very short break. Don't go away. I'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. 
I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week. Of course, always looking through the lens of politics, finance, and technology so you can have a better understanding, a better context to what's going on in the world. Now, right before the break, I was talking about this uh, Ludwig von Mises's theory called the crack-up boom and how people don't want to hold on to the money anymore. They'd rather buy assets. And so we've seen these assets going higher and higher and higher, partly because of this inflation you know, where, the, where the currency is being destroyed and partly because of this, this, this rush to own those types of assets. And I've been very vocal. I've been on record many times on my main YouTube channel, Mark Moss, which by the way, if you're not watching on on, uh, YouTube, you should just search Mark Moss on YouTube. Um, And you can watch and listen to all these shows on the podcast. Just search the Mark Moss show, or you can watch these episodes also on the Market Disruptors YouTube channel. But I've been very vocal, even back when inflation was at seven, eight, nine percent, saying that this, I think this would still even be some of the lowest inflation that we'll see for the rest of the decade. And so while a lot of people think that inflation is over, the Fed has won, I don't think they're even close. And what do I mean by that? Uh, I mean, inflation has come down reportedly from this nine percent down to this three percent range, right, Mark? So they did win. They got it down, right? Well, not really. First of all, that number is so heavily manipulated, you can't believe that number. Second of all, inflation comes in waves, all right? So yes, they got it down temporarily, get ready for the next move up. Now we can see this in any number of ways. For example, I saw this report come out this week 
that home buyers in the United States now, home buyers must earn $115,000 to afford the typical US home. The median home price in the United States, you now have to earn $115,000 to afford that median home. The problem is that's about 40,000 more than the median US income. So the median income can't afford the median house. That's a problem. The bigger problem is that this has gone up by more than 50% since the start of the pandemic. So now you need 50% more income today than you needed a few years ago to buy the median home price. The problem is your pay didn't go up by 50% which is why we're continuing to see it being harder and harder and harder and harder for people to live, which is why in the United States, we continue to see um, strikes, right? We have strikes happening all over the place. The auto workers in Hollywood, I saw the railways today, everywhere we're having strikes because people can't afford to live anymore. It's gotten way too expensive. Home prices went up 50%, but your pay didn't. And so while the Fed wants to tell you they've got inflation under control, they haven't. Also, as I've mentioned many times, even if they did get inflation from their 9% down to 3%, it, it doesn't mean that prices came back down. What it means is that prices continue to go up just at a little bit of a slower rate, but that's compounding because we're still adding on to the already high rate. And like I said, I've been very vocal saying that I think inflation is still going higher, and I think the market is actually telling us the same thing. Not the Fed. The Fed's patting themselves on the back saying they got a job well done. But the market is telling us something different. Now, the market is us. The market is me and you. The market is the people, the businesses. It's Wall Street. It's the bankers. We, the people, we make up the market. And the markets are what's called discounting mechanisms. They're really like betting markets. Every day, if you put money into the market whether into the economy or more specifically into like the, the Wall Street kind of investment market, you are betting, you're placing your bet as to what you think that could happen. So if you go to, if you go to Las Vegas, for example, um, you're going to go into the sports book, you're going to bet on a football game. So you're going to say, I'm going to put down this $100 that I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to win this game. Um, and they either do or they don't, and I win money, money I don't. Now, I'm sort of doing the same thing if I'm buying Tesla or Apple or Facebook or Google or whatever stock I'm buying. I'm betting that the price of that stock will go up, or I'm short and I'm betting the price will go down. So we're all betting at the same time. The market is, is million, billions of, of pieces of data all aggregating together to tell us what people think is going to happen, what the future will hold. And so we can see this. I've talked a lot about if you look at the treasury market, the bond market, we have the um, inversion of, um, of the yield curve. You've heard about this extensively. So what, what this means, the, the yield curve is supposed to go from lower rates in the short term. So three months, six months, et cetera, should be very, should be low rates. And the long term, the 30 year bond should be a higher rate because I want to get paid a higher amount to loan to you for a longer period of time. Makes sense, right? So we should have this yield curve where the long rates are higher than the short term rates. The problem is it's been inverted, meaning that the short term rates are higher than long term rates. Whenever that happens, it's guaranteed or it's told, it's told us that there's a recession coming. I, I believe it's 100% accurate. And it's told us that typically that recession comes in about 12 to 18 months. 
And now we're now we're starting to see that yield curve, the inverted yield curve is starting to reinvert or what we call re-steepen. But what's happening is it's happening the wrong way. So typically the way it's supposed to work is that the front end, which is higher than it should be, should come down. But what we're seeing is the back end that's higher, I'm sorry, is lower, is actually starting to go up. So what this means is that the, the market is actually calling the Fed's bluff on maintaining a long-term inflation target of 2%. The market doesn't believe that the Fed has control over inflation. The market believes, millions of people, billions of people and data points, believe that the Fed has completely lost control over inflation, just like I'm saying. And the reason why, and we can see this in this yield curve, if the market believed the Fed's 2% target, then they would happily be buying notes on the on the back end at 4.8%, right? If I believe that we'd have 2% inflation, I'll gladly buy a note at 4.8%. That means that I'm guaranteed a almost 3% return over 10 years. The markets, but, uh, but the markets don't believe that. The markets don't believe the Fed's narrative. The markets don't believe that they're going to continue to see this 2% target. They think inflation is going to be higher. That's what we're witnessing. We're witnessing the free market signal that it no longer believes the Fed's 2% target is realistic. They don't believe it's attainable. And all the data supporting this um, is there. It includes the average inflation rate since 1971 being 3.97, 4%. Since 1971, the average inflation rate has been 4%, not 2% like the Fed wants to get to. And again, if the market did believe the Fed, then they would be buying the 10-year note to lock in those real rates of return, not selling it, but they're not. They're selling it. The selling, the rising rates, signals the market feels it's not being properly compensated for the real inflation risk, which is greater than the previous consensus of 2%. So the yield curve re-steepening specifically at the long end is telling us the Fed's lost control of the yield curve. It's a big deal. I'm on, uh, and, and the Fed, the Fed is trying to regain confidence in the market. They're trying to tell us, we've seen several, I think seven Fed board governors came out in the last week trying to what we call jawbone the market, talk it back down, saying, we think enough has been done. We think the market has taken care of itself. We think that uh, we don't need to raise rates anymore. We think we've, we've solved the inflation problem. Congratulations. Let me pat ourselves on the back here real quick. So this is what the Fed is trying to tell us, but the markets don't believe it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Ma Show, breaking down some of the latest breaking news headlines this week so you can understand it. I have a lot more to cover when we come back. I'm going to dig deeper into the bonds so you can understand exactly what's going on, what you need to do, and more. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet... There's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. 
I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week so you can understand what the heck is going on out there in the world. Of course, always looking at through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Really looking at the convergence of those three things to bring greater context into what's going on in the world. Now, we were talking about inflation. We were talking about the bonds and specifically how the bonds are calling the Fed's bluff. They don't believe, the market doesn't believe, as evidenced through the yield curve, that inflation is coming back down to 2%. And we're seeing all types of problems in the bond market. Nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants to buy it. And the reason why is because they know the government is going to continue to print money. The amount of money printing is, I don't even know the word. I'm speechless. I've never seen this before. No one's ever seen this before. As a matter of fact, there is so much debt. The government is spending so much money at an unprecedented level that it, it just boggles the mind. Let me, let, me, let me break it down for you. It took the U.S. government just 18 days to add more than $500 billion in debt after passing the $33 trillion debt run. Now, to put this into sort of some context, it took from the founding of the United States all the way until 1981 to get to $1 trillion of debt. Okay? From beginning to 1981. And now we hit that run rate in less than two months. (sighs) I don't even know what to say about that. It took the U.S. until March of 1975 to get to its first $500 billion, and now it did that in 18 days. It's insane. Um, and so now we're starting to witness that the market is starting to wake up to the fact that, sure, uh, sure, it's risk-free because, sure, the government's going to pay me back, but they're going to be paying me back with heavily devalued dollars. I don't want that. And not to mention... The demand is still mostly there. There's still people in the market, other nations, governments, et cetera, banks, pension funds that still want to buy the U.S. debt. So there still is demand for the supply of the U.S. debt. The problem isn't the demand. The problem is the supply. The problem is they've pushed the supply up so much that the demand is just not high enough. That's where we're at. And we can see that really a lot of this has changed sort of in this, in 2008 is really when we saw this massive change, when we really entered in this quantitative easing era. And really in 2014, we saw it shift even more. In 2014, what shifted is we started to see that central banks around the world wanted to stop growing their holdings of U.S. treasuries. And so that started to put a limit onto, well, not so how much debt that could be issued, but really the function of the U.S. Treasury market overall. 
in order, the, the U.S. Treasury market cannot have dysfunction. We need to have liquidity in the system. If the dysfunction gets too high, if the financial system doesn't work properly, if the liquidity dries up, the whole thing can seize and freeze and the whole system melts down. Nobody wants that. Uh, as much as I want to see the entire system uh, rebuilt on a sound money system, a Bitcoin standard, if you will, um, I don't want that to happen tomorrow. We don't want a disorderly breakdown of the market. And so the Fed certainly does not want this dysfunction to be high. But because of the fact that we don't have as many buyers in the market and because of the increased demand, something has to give. The Fed has been holding this position of being hawkish. They want to continue to shrink their balance. They want to continue to tighten the market. But how can they shrink their balance? How can they tighten the market when the government needs to continue to put more debt out and nobody else will buy it? They certainly can't. They're going to have to do something. They're going to have to, well, really, it's, it's only one. I guess they have two options. Either one, they have to inject more U.S. dollar liquidity into the system. Or two, they have to face a U.S. recession. But a U.S. recession isn't a, isn't a policy choice they can make. Because if they did, if they chose the recession, the resulting increase in unemployment would drive a complete blowout in deficits, which would likely drive a rise in U.S. Treasury yields in a recession. Again, sending the U.S. US into a debt spiral that discredits the Fed and the Treasury and ultimately forces a system, systematic, a systemic reset. So what do I mean by that? So uh, yeah, the government is sort of like you and I, sort of like a business. They have income and they have expenses. The government has tax revenue that comes in and then they spend that tax revenue on lots of different things. In pre-pandemic times, the US government was spending about four and a half trillion. I think it was about $4.8 trillion per year. That was the annual budget. After the pandemic and now today, they're spending about I think 6.8, about a 50% increase in annual spending of the government. The problem is that they didn't have a 50% increase in income. As a matter of fact, the income went down. So the government is now living off of credit cards, if you will. Now, why did the income go down? Well, because as we're moving more towards a recession, people are spending less money. A majority of that tax revenue comes from capital gains. So when your stocks are going up and your house is going up and you're selling your stocks, you're selling your Bitcoin, you're selling your real estate, you have capital gains tax you have to pay. But when asset prices aren't going up anymore, there's no capital gains. And so they lose a lot, a lot of their revenue and, and any, any other number of things. And so what happens is if uh, this has already happened, now, if the Fed doesn't inject liquidity and we go into a massive recession or any recession for that matter, then that's even less income for the government, which means their deficit goes from two trillion a year to three trillion or four trillion or whatever it is. Now, what do they do? Well, they need more credit cards. So they need to issue more treasuries, but there's not enough buyers for the treasuries. And what does that do? Well, if there's not enough buyers, then that pushes the price up. The price has to continue to go up to attract more buyers. And if that happens, the U.S. goes into a debt spiral. Now, as I said, uh, I think in the last segment, I said that the market is already telling us this yield curve, re-steepening, uninverting, is already telling us that the market doesn't believe the Fed's narrative anymore. They, the market is saying, we don't believe the Fed can get inflation back down. And so the Fed is already discredited. 
If this continues to get worse, they're only going to be discredited even more. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this, all right? So we've seen this many times since about 2014, like I said, when things really changed. So since, since, since this has happened, we've seen this cycle play out, I think, five times. In 2014, the US dollar was weakened at something called the Shanghai Accords. Um, so uh, the dollar had gotten too strong. It created all this treasury dysfunction. And so they had this uh, meeting and they agreed that the dollar, the US dollar would be weakened in order for uh, this to be resolved. And they did. In, uh, in 2018, 2019, the Fed was raising rates. Jerome Powell had just come into office. He was full of fire and vinegar and he was going to fix things. He started raising rates and caused a lot of treasury market dysfunction. The Fed had to pause rates. And then the Fed was forced into um, quantitative easing, they didn't call it that, to address the repo rate spike in September of 2019. A lot of people don't know this, but the market had actually, the, the yield curve had actually inverted and the market actually locked up in September 2019. So while most people think the, the entire market was crashed because of the pandemic, it actually had started in September of 2019. Then we saw it again in March of 2020. The Fed paused their not QE into the first quarter of 2020. And then they watched the market crash into the pandemic. And then they jumped in, did anything that was net necessary, uh, super quantitative easing, if you will. Then September of 2022, the Fed started to tighten. The Treasury started to run down its Treasury, uh, this TGA account, as we call it, the Treasury General Account. And this was in response to the UK guilt crisis. We covered that back then. So each time this market start, starts to get dysfunctional, they have to move in. And we can see right now, there's, a, there's an index called the Move Index, M-O-V-E, and it shows the volatility in the bond market. And we can see that this dysfunction is nearing another all-time high. We can see um, that, that this tells us that there's problems coming around the horizon. So hang on to your hats, uh, be prepared to protect yourself, uh, and there's a lot more to come. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, I'm talking through some of the latest breaking news headlines of this week, looking through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. I got a lot more to cover when I come back after this very short break. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Running through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week so you know what the heck is going on. Now, one of the big themes, unfortunately, uh, for this week and really for the last year is war. Now, there's all types of wars, uh, and I'm not talking about a physical, a hot war. What I'm talking about right now is trade wars. You know, I've been saying for a long time that I think the World War III is really a war of information and money. Uh, I'm still hoping that's true. Unfortunately, it's looking like uh, it might be going more towards a hot war. Let's certainly hope not. But if we're looking at the financial war, we can see things really seem to get kicked off into sort of high gear. Maybe when Trump was in and we sort of had this, uh, these tariffs started to happen with China. And that has just continued on. A lot of it has been seemingly a shift towards trying to kind of keep China in their place, trying to um, keep them from rising up and challenging the United States, which is interesting because you might also argue there's people in the United States, <coughs> Biden, Biden crime family, uh, you know, like that, that want to see China rise up. Uh, but that's because there's lots of warring factions in the United States. And there's certainly some, specifically the military, that sees China as a threat. Now, I've covered this in the past. Um, I made a whole YouTube video about it as well on my main YouTube channel, just Mark on Mark Moss. Talking about how uh, basically the United States sent China back to the dark ages. And what do I mean by that? Well, um, the Biden administration had continued to escalate things and had cut China off from receiving microchips, specifically level two and level three. There's uh, basically three levels of microchips, uh, level one being just like the super most basic that go in like an old school alarm clock. Um, and then level two, level three being the very most advanced chips that you would uh, need for AI, iPhones, things like that. And so uh, the Biden administration had decided to basically take those more advanced chips away from China and not just the chips, but everything that they need around manufacturing and servicing um, around those chips. And so there were sanctions placed on all the manufacturers, even other nations that, that supply those parts of machines um, to China. And so I kind of made the case that this literally sends them back to the dark ages because without uh, advanced microchips, you basically don't have technology. I mean, again, you don't have iPhones, like you don't have AI, you don't have any of these things. And so this was going to be a very, very big deal. Now, of course, um, China's not happy about that. Um, they've retaliated. I've, I've covered this, I think, on my main YouTube channel as well, where they said, okay, aha, then we'll ban exports to you. And so the, then, then China banned the United States from getting a couple key commodities that we really need, uh, gallium and uranium. Those are commodities that are used for um, in, in the EV space for renewable energy, things like that. And so of course, the United States has this policy to transition everything to, into renewables, uh, unreliables, if you will. And it's gonna be very difficult without those exports. China said that, why would we continue to export our finite materials to a nation that we're not friendly with, right? And so they're escalating this war and it took another turn for the worse. Well, worse if you're China, I suppose. Um, and basically we saw this week, the US Commerce Department set new rules on semiconductor exports, limiting the ability of American chip making companies like NVIDIA 
and Intel to sell AI chips to China. So basically what we're seeing is the Biden administration is continuing to tighten the restrictions on China's ability to buy these advanced semiconductors. And this, of course, fuels the friction with U.S. businesses that sell to China, to the Chinese market. So if you're NVIDIA and if you're in Intel and now you can't sell your products to China anymore, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. Now, the Commerce Department said Tuesday that it would significantly constrict exports of artificial intelligence chips, making it tougher for U.S. companies um, to sell their chips um, or to introduce new chips to circumvent the rules. And so that's part of this. So uh, capitalism for what it is, uh, there are, everyone's trying to figure out ways to get around this. And so they're trying to tighten that noose, circumvent the rules to do that. Now, the goal, according to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, is to limit China's access to advanced semiconductors that could fuel breakthroughs in artificial intelligence and sophisticated computers. Of course they are. They want to keep them in the dark ages. Now, these chips, um, the U.S. doesn't want China to have them. And at the same time, they're critical for, China, for, for the Chinese, right? Obviously, that's why they're trying to cut them off. They're, they're not just critical for the Chinese. They're critical for Chinese military applications, she said. And this is a nod to the concerns that the U.S. could fall behind China in key defense technologies. Now, the updated rules significantly expand the U.S. government's authority to determine what products U.S. companies can and can't sell in the name of national security. Of course, everything's a matter of national security today. Everything. And of course, in times of war, then we just continue to expand those rules of national security. Um, and pretty much everything's a war today. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this the other day. Pretty much everything the government declares as a war gets worse, not better. So I was just thinking that like since uh, 1971, I believe, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency was formed. And since then, the U.S. has spent uh, trillions of dollars fighting the war on drugs, but yet drugs are bigger and they're a bigger problem today than they ever have been. So when they put the war on drugs. Drugs weren't really a problem. And as a matter of fact, most drugs were just legal in the United States. I think cocaine and ecstasy and things like that, they were fine. There wasn't a big problem. Now, after making it a war and spending trillions of dollars, drugs are the biggest problem. As a matter of fact, it's the number one cause of death for 18 to 35 year olds. Um, we've emboldened the drug cartels down in Mexico. Now they're billion dollar, potentially trillion dollar businesses uh, because we fought a war on drugs, just making it worse. We have a war on, on obesity, but yet obesity is worse than it's ever been. It's like the main cause of death in the, in the United States. We have a war on poverty, but yet today we have more poor people than any time in history. Uh, well, I don't want to say any time in history. That's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, but uh, there's a reason why we have people striking all throughout the United States. I, I, I reported earlier that um, home prices are up now 50%, not home prices, but the but the home payments are up 50% in the last three years, but wages haven't kept up with it. So this war on poverty isn't really helping. And so uh, we have a war on terrorism, right? Uh, they've, they've signaled this war on terrorism, spent, I don't even know if we added up probably 20, $30 trillion on terrorism. And yet terrorism is a bigger, worse problem today than it was before. And so every war that the government declares just seems to get bigger, just seems to get worse. And now here we have a war with China. 
And if history is our guide, unfortunately, it's probably only going to get bigger and worse, which of course it does, right? That's what happens with wars. That's what happens with fights. You get escalation, right? I call you a name. You threaten me. I push you. You punch me. I get a knife. You get a gun. And we just escalate from there until cooler heads prevail, until people are able to sit down, think about this clearly, and come up with some sort of resolution. Now, in a situation like this, where the US is afraid that China will overtake us, that's a legitimate concern, something they probably should have thought about 20 years ago before they shipped all our manufacturing off to China. Today, it's sort of like uh, what we say, closing the barn door after the cows were already gone, so to speak. Um, and so now it's a much bigger problem. And I'm not really sure where this goes. But I can tell you, it's going to be a rocky road, not just for the relationship between China, what potentially China may do with um, Taiwan, which I was looking today before the show to see if I could find like some sort of betting markets. Um, so typically, there's betting markets where you can like place wagers on who will be the next president, things like that. Um, I wasn't able to find one. But if I had to guess, I'm guessing there's at least a 75% chance that China goes after Taiwan, and there's not a lot we can do with it. Um, so it certainly uh, continues to add towards that. It continues to be a drag on US businesses like NVIDIA and Intel. And so we'll keep you up to date on what's going on with this. If you're just tuning in, you've been listening to The Mark Ma Show talking about the latest breaking news headlines this week as we chart the decentralized revolution. That's what I got. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.